As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, we do a little nerder mailbag. And uh, we talk a little bit about maximizing team efficiency. This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Hello and welcome to an all-new athletic NBA show, Nerdish You Wrote. Uh, it's Friday. I'm Dave Dufour. Here every week, as I always am, with Seth and Mo. Uh, before we get into the show, I, I wanted to take a minute and send our condolences and my personal condolences to Seku Smith's family. Um, the, I mean, everything that you've read or heard, uh, I think Rachel Nichols on the jump kind of laid it all out there for for all of us. Not not to say that she spoke for everyone, but certainly spoke what was in my heart about Seku. Um, just. A, a fantastic human being, really, really smart guy who just seemed to actually give a shit about everybody he met, whether he, you know, knew you for 20 years or knew you for 20 minutes. And uh, there aren't a lot of people like that in the world. And we lost one with Seku. So it's going to be a little sadder uh, when summer league comes back around and, and, you know, I don't, I don't get to run into him in the, in the hallways there, but uh you know, we're going to miss him. So uh wanted to send our condolences right off the top. And now we can talk about basketball, I guess. Uh, sorry to, uh, to to start out on such a, a down note, um, but uh, there's a lot happening. And we decided to take some questions because we wanted to see where everyone's heads were because we can't really keep our heads on straight so far this season with uh, the... I don't know. What do we call it? Lineup volatility. Is that is that how we're calling this now, Seth? Um, I think that's probably the uh, the, the nice way of putting it. Without the without the <laughs> the the shit show of, uh, of of game to game availability. Yeah. Um, so before we get into that, something that's kind of come up a lot recently, and and Seth, this is this is kind of your idea, is something to talk about. After the Harden trade, I, I've seen that there's a lot of people that don't really love the trade and think that, 
you know, it doesn't really get them anywhere uh, as far as on the, on the offensive end. Um, is there a limit to how much star power you actually need on on the court, or or am I am I thinking about this too simplistically? Where having more stars is better. Like if you can have the dream team out there, wouldn't that be a good thing? All else being equal, more talent is good. Um, the question with with Brooklyn is like there's there's m- multiple things you need. Uh, to be a winning basketball team. And obviously, like, great scoring firepower is one of them. But you also need, like, rebounding and defense and, and you know, the, the ability to guard at multiple different positions. And, um, you know, an issue people have with the Nets construction is um, – and I think we saw this, like, the, both the positive and negative. Um, we're recording on Thursday. Last night against Atlanta, um, they have all this firepower and then they're coming down the end of the game and Joe Harris has to guard Trey Young. Because all of their eggs are in that are, are in that that shot creator basket, so it's not that you have too much of that. It's just that because you can only do so much with the roster, uh, it's not so much too much of that. It's not enough of everything else. Which because you've kind of spent all your assets on shot creation, that you don't have enough for you know perimeter defense. So what about the teams, Mo, where where you only have you know, one or two stars and the offense is so bent to those guys and maximizing what they do. I mean, think James Harden in Houston, think Giannis to a certain degree in Milwaukee, think Luca in Dallas. Is there a point of diminishing returns with a heliocentric style offense where you're actually going to drag down everyone else in an, in an attempt to maximize the one guy? I think there's, some of that, you know, I'm not a huge, I'm not a big believer in you can really win fully on with just heliocentric offense. I think you need to have that in your game and, and other bags. It's, it's versatility to me that really matters. And, you know, like when we look at a team like the Bucks, that's that's focused on, you know, we you get a star and you build around that star. And I think it comes down to what fits around it. You know, what does this star need to be? fully maximize his potential but at the same time it's how does that star player you know once he maximizes that potential raise the ceiling for everybody else or excuse me the floor for everybody else and make others around him better and things like that it's 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 such a weird like give and take thing to do right it's hard to figure out because sometimes you do hit a point where it's like we're focused so much on maximizing this guy we're not taking advantage of some, we're not using some of our other advantages with our other players. And I think it's, it's a blend. It's, it's, it's a balancing act as everything is in, in, in coaching to me, it's, it's, you can do too much of one thing. You got to be able to kind of vary it up. Yeah. I think for the most part, you know, maximizing each individual player is the best way to maximize a team, but that's not always the case. And I, I think we've seen this kind of in some super teams past. You, I mean, you think of, you know, LeBron's first two kind of dynasty teams. Uh, I, I would, I wouldn't say that the Heat, quote unquote, maximized Chris Bosh, but they maximized Chris Bosh for the Miami Heat. And to a lesser degree, I think we saw that with Kevin Love in Cleveland. Like there was a, well, he's not getting the elbow touches he wants, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that would be great for Kevin Love. I'm not sure that would be great for the Cavs overall. And I think to go to, to most point, I think we're seeing with, you know, these heliocentric teams that they're they're bumping up against the edge of where um 
you know, okay, we could do more for Giannis, for Trey, for Luca. But that's at the point, the more we're adding to him, it's taking away from some other players. And uh, Eric Name at The Athletic wrote earlier this week, a really nice piece. Like the Bucks are leading the NBA in offense again. And Giannis is having a little bit of a down year. Um, and they've changed their offense some and it's made it a little harder for Giannis. But it's probably helped the team overall from a balance standpoint. Um, and so that's great. Like that doesn't mean he's a worse player or playing worse. It's it's probably a more, as Mo said, more versatile, probably more resilient uh, in a playoff setting kind of uh, approach. approach. It's it, it goes to the point too that in the playoffs, if you play one way, I know how to defend that. I can game plan and take that away, knowing you don't have Plan B. Your your Plan B is let's do Plan A better. You know, and 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 we've built a defense to take away plan A. So I think it's it's along those things. And I think that's kind of the, the problem the Bucks have been running into over the past year. So that's kind of why I'm interested in in seeing what it'll look like for them in the playoffs this year with a little more versatility. I think we saw a little bit the other day where they were actually using Chris Middleton in the pick and roll with Giannis and and opening that door a little bit. And, and, and again, just trickling in other things as they go through it. And this is a problem across the board. I think this is something Dallas is going to have to figure out how they're going to do as they continue to build forward. Uh, you know, several teams are going to have that question and, 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 and try to figure that part out. And that's really the way I kind of look at it, but it's a balancing act because you want your best player to be their best and you want to put the best around them, you know, and at the same time, you also want to make sure everybody around them's at their best. And that's how you win a championship. So it's, it's, that's why it's so damn hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you brought up Bosch and you brought up love, you know, are you, kind of beating around the bush and saying that one of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden need to decide to be a super role player? Or so at least – No, no, no I think – no, And I but. think we've we've actually through kind of the first five or so games they've played together, we've kind of seen that almost a little bit. Uh, he was more aggressive over the course of the game last night. They were more balanced between the three of them. But uh, Harden has kind of taken a little bit of a, of a facilitator role. So far, and then this is this is the, mm-hmm. the really exciting thing. I've I've really I'll, I'm, I'll be honest. I've really enjoyed watching the Brooklyn version of James Harden in ways that I didn't really uh, with the the Houston version. Is he comes down the fourth quarter and he's kind of been moving the ball, getting everyone else involved, and then uh, I think we saw this in their their game against Miami on I want to say Monday. Is is there's eight minutes left mm-hmm. in the game. He hasn't had to do everything all game, and all of a sudden, okay, it's my time. He had taken like two shots up to that point. Yeah, and he used and he looked like absolutely explosive and and unguardable for the last eight minutes of that game um, because he had that that gear to go to because he'd been balanced the rest of the game. Now, I think uh, KD is is malleable enough that it's always like he'll he'll figure it out. Um, so it's really the balance between on ball and off ball play between Harden and Kyrie that's going to be that's going to be that sticking point, I think. Uh, and really, yeah, at this point, o- I think it's it's Kyrie. Right. Offensively, I don't I don't think they're going to have any problem whatsoever. And I love I love like James Harden as Mariano Rivera. <laughs> I mean, that was that game was just he was incredible that night, and um, you know. He's probably playing some of the most inspired basketball I've seen from him 
since since they lost that game seven against the Warriors, pretty much. You know, like he looks like he he really has found something. And and part of that I think is just playing with guys like Kevin Durant. <laughs> He should have, Dave. It's not even a, a, a question. You know, you push for a trade. You wanted to go here. You don't get to go to the place and then mope. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's been awesome. We're still, we're still, we're we're also still very early, very much, very in much the honeymoon, honeymoon period. <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 I love what Seth's saying because this is actually something I've wanted Harden to do in Houston. You know, the way I wanted Houston to play was run offense, move stuff around, things like that. Crunch time. Go to your best weapon, and that's the isolation Harden game. So it's it's nice seeing it in Brooklyn, but I just think, you know, again, it's early, right? And they're all still figuring it out. It's going to be a year long process. I actually think they will be much better next season. You know, just with those, th- the three of them will play much better together next season than this year, just because it's easier to with, with an off season with a training camp, assuming life gets somewhat normal, we'll be able to, they'll be able to kind of work things in right now. They're doing everything on the fly. And that's one of the the challenges for this team this year. I, I think that's a great point, Mo. And it's both from a, like they'll have a little bit of, of flexibility in terms of bringing guys around them, but also the kind of figuring how to go, uh, again, you, if people don't remember the first year of the Heatles, there was a lot of kind of, is it my turn? Is it your turn? Wade and, and LeBron sort of doing that a little bit. And then by the second year, like that was when like Dwayne Wade had like mastered the ghost cut and, 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 you know, they, and they became like the, I think Matt Moore called it the flying death machine. Like that was, that, that was, they had, they had figured out how to fit the three of them in together and they were just absolutely terrifying and terrifying in a way where like their best offense became your bad offense and then they would just annihilate you. And I think that, that, you know, I, Brooklyn's probably not going to have that defense to offense switch because they don't play the same kind of defense, but the, the same kind of pick your poison and th- those three will fill in seamlessly. We'll just be better next year. And I want to, I just want to throw one thing in here. And this kind of has nothing to do with our, I'm going to throw a curveball here for everybody. Cause I see a lot of things on Twitter of like, who do you leave to go help, you know, and things like that. And I think that just goes to the larger issue of you leave whoever you have to, you're the next rotation. You make that rotation and the guy behind you has to make that rotation. It doesn't matter. Even if you have to leave Kyrie to stop James Harden on a layup, you're betting on the other guy to make the uh, the rotation. It's going to be how you defend this isn't can you stop these guys? It's can you rotate and how well do you rotate? That's how you're going to be able to beat the Nets, you know, in, in the playoffs more than anything else. And that's looking way ahead. But I just see it a lot on Twitter and I, I, I just wanted to get that shot off, Dave. Sorry. Well, no, no, no. It's a good point. Uh, you know, looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The team, like the offense, I think, is just going to work, right? What's going to be interesting to see is what happens if teams, you know, are you going to be able to lazy switch this team? I don't think so. I think that they're going to punish teams that lazy switch. So we're going to have to see, like, what are teams, like, not that they're going to throw junk defenses at it, but what are teams going to do to, to you know, kind of take advantage of the fact, or, or I guess work around the fact that you're not going to be able to switch against these guys because you've got three different guys that can just cook whoever your worst defender is. I just want to point out before we move on to the mailbag that uh, we're in our second season together. And uh, I think, I think we're, we're fitting. <laughs> we're a lot together. better. Yeah. yeah. We're, you know, it's uh, you know, D- Dave isn't, well, yeah, listen, well, no, you, Dave isn't dominating the ball like he used to. Oh, he's, he's, he's passing. Oh. <laughs> I'm hardened here is what, is what you're saying. Just, you know, this is Beard Brothers United. All right, look, so we, we did put out the call uh, last night for mailbag questions. And, I mean, this the response was overwhelming, which, uh, you know, thank everyone who, who submitted a question. We actually kept a bunch of questions that we're not going to get to for future episodes because some of these Questions were just absolutely, I mean, fantastic questions, which is why, you know, we ask. Um, you guys usually are pretty good at it. And today, you know, it's no different. So so let's jump right in. The first question from the NBA Underground on Twitter um, for, for Seth and Mo: can you guys reveal anything about the analytics and X's and O's dynamics behind the scenes in a, in a team environment? What is the process in going from statistical observation to an in-game adjustment. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting. This goes to the question of like eye test versus analytics, right? And this is the conversation. And in my experience as a video guy, now granted, I was kind of on my way out as analytics was really becoming a very, very important thing. You know, with the Clippers, we had finally just hired, uh, Judd and 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 he became he was one person of our analytics department. It has grown since then. Um, but I think, you know, it was an important piece of like he would give us stuff. We would go back and forth and confirm things from the film. Or if I saw something on the film, I would ask him to run numbers. And in San Antonio, we were a little bit ahead with the analytics game and and had further things and, and, and would go deeper. So it's never just one thing. And I think the the process, too, is like somebody has an observation, whether it be statistical or, or, or see something in a game and you just go pull on that ribbon, you know, until that thread until you find out what the answer is. And that leads you to the video room that leads you to the analytics department that leads you to talking with the coaches or and whatnot. So I think that's kind of how it all sort of plays out. And it only works, too, when you have an environment that's open to this collaboration of everybody working together. Seth, you know, you obviously were the director of analytical research for an NBA team. Uh, this seems like it's directly in your wheelhouse. I'm glad Mo started with the interaction between the film room and the analytics staff, because I think that's kind of where the rubber meets the road and where you sort of – understand that this is not like film versus numbers. It's a continuum and you're kind of uh, identifying things almost in real time and trying to, you know, bird dog them and run them down. And, and somebody notices something 
Uh, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago when we had Ben Falk on, we talked about how you watch games. And, you, you know, for people who've watched enough NBA basketball, it's, it's, uh, I don't remember if I used this analogy at the time or not, but you're watching a game and something weird happens. It's like how you spot a marked card. You're riffing through the cards and something that, that, that's different. You just, and, and so then you, you go back to the film, you go back to the numbers and you, and you see if that's a real thing or not. Uh, and the kind of the, the groups of people in an organization that have the time in the day to chase that down are, you know, the film room and kind of the, the, the lower level analytics staffers. Uh, and then that's where you, that's where you start the observation. And then there's, um, you know, discussion around that. Now, I think it depends primarily on on how open a coaching staff is to receiving input some coaching staffs are probably more in, interested in getting stats that uh, confirm their priors and and some are more open to discussion but uh, again that's that's sort of a personal preference and some and frankly there's there's some that that are just looking for a stat to give to a player that um, makes the point that they want to make to the player about how to change the game. And I think that's, you know, that gives you a little bit of room to fudge, but I think that's a perfectly fine use of stats to, to, if you're, if you're maybe, if you're maybe uh, thumbing the scale to make a larger point about how you want a player to play. So I think altruism in, in statistical analysis, is that where we're at now? Uh, is it altruism? Is it uh, um, a white lie? Yeah, I had a college coach describe it to me as as uh, as a liberal use of statistics, as opposed to a more religious use, which is like these are the objective numbers and we live by them, as like a catechism or something, which you might do in a in like a like a self scout sort of setting. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah it, go ahead. It, but I think you touched on you touched on the thing too that's interesting is is being able to go to a player with both video and analytics when they're aligned and be able to say, look, this is, this is what the video and the analytics is telling us about your game is a real powerful tool to get them to open their eyes and get that understanding of like, okay, I do need to take more of this shot or less of this, or I need to drive or, or whatever the, the analytics is of it, whatever it's showing. I think it's, it's such an important thing when it's aligned. Now, sometimes it's a, you might be able to talk about sometimes there's going to be disagreements, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's going to be like, look, I, I get what the numbers are saying, but I, I, I got a feeling like this is something that, you know, like I'm watching it on film. I'm seeing it over and over again. Like something's not aligned here. Let's try to figure it out. And, and, and that happens sometimes. And it's just a matter of being able to work with each other in a way that that makes this thing go. Let me ask you as a follow up to this, because I, I, I do like this line of thought um, and it's interesting to, you know, to learn the inner workings. Um, did you did you find that it was tougher to get players to buy in or coaches? Because it seems to me like, you know, at least from what we what we see in the media and in public, players are actually pretty accepting of, of a lot of analytics, especially the ones that make them look good, which is why I think, you know, Charles Barkley could be an evangelist for, for analytics if, if someone really wanted him to be. But coaches, on the other hand, seem to be a little bit more stubborn. I mean, it's changing, you know, in the last few years, but, but there's still a lot of coaches out there that it, it seems like they don't budge in, in the face of numbers telling them that they should. Um, I think it's still much more something that goes through coaching uh, just because 
for something to happen at game speed, there can't be thought. And so there can't be, well, the blah, blah, blah said, and if I do this, then that, it's too late and it's wrong. Like, okay, there's, you know, there's articles written about Shane Battier able to keep this stuff in his head as he's guarding a Kobe Bryant. That he's, I think he's a rare player in that regard. So you, you have to simplify it down and that's best done kind of through the normal, you know, cause there's all different kinds of, of inputs that Bruce, that a coach is is uh, wants to put into a player, and you have to collate them down to a simple, executable message. And you know, the better players are able to take on more information and operationalize those. But you still you need to be able to pitch it at the, the level the player can you know understand and, and utilize at game speed. And so you know you have all the information and you distill it down to one or two things, and that's you know determining what those things are. You know, I might have thoughts on that, but it fits into a larger game plan. So there's other things that you might be, you know, worried about that have to be balanced against like the pure, you know, analytics of a situation. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, just that simple. It's hard. It's it's diagnosing something in real time and retaining all the information that you have and then go. And sometimes it's against your instincts and it takes time. It takes a while over time to develop that to fight the muscle memory you had before and build a new one. And I think that's kind of part of what goes into it too. All right. Next question uh, from Miroslav Chuk, uh, friend of the show. Who do you believe the most once we get to the playoffs? Uh, Utah, Denver, Phoenix, or Portland? Now, this is an interesting grouping here um, because I'm pretty sure we almost universally don't believe in Portland, period. Is that where we're at now in Portland? I, 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 no. Oh, I believe it. I believe in one team less than Portland in this list. There's one in this, in this oh, list. There oh is boy. one team. I, think I, we're, believe we're gonna, in less I, than Portland. I, I know where he's going to go and we're about to argue. Wow. Let's do it. Let's go. Get the gloves on. So ring the bell. Don't Let's like go. Phoenix. I don't, I don't believe in Phoenix okay. in the playoffs. I thought you're going to go. Okay. Yeah, I thought you're going to go. Here's Utah. the reason why. And I was oh. gonna. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess now. Well, now we're not yeah. arguing. We build a. We build a fight, and, <laughs> and, now, and, and, yeah. and now we're not going anywhere. <laughs> here's and and here's the reason why. And it's and it's and it's pretty simple. Those other three teams have been there True. and have been there consistently over the years. You know, over the past three or four years, they've all been in the playoffs, varying degrees. You know, different levels and stuff. Portland, right now, it's really just injuries right. that have decimated them. Which is, lo and behold. Seems to be every year a thing for Portland, and they find a way to overcome it. But when it comes to Phoenix, they've never been there before. And and maybe I'm a little too old school in that sense, but experience matters. Booker's never played a playoff minute. Uh, obviously, Aiton's still young. He's never played a playoff minute. They have veterans in Chris Paul, in, in uh, Crowder, but they don't have a ton of guys that I feel like have been proven playoff uh, veterans. I mean, we could also add Dario Sarge, but like – that's kind of it. And and everybody in that group hasn't played in the playoffs. And it's very, very different. We talk about it all the time. And that's the team I believe in the least coming into the playoffs. Well, I believe in the most is actually yeah, Utah. Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're just throwing out Portland altogether, I would say Phoenix was next for me. I know. I, I think that's a 
It's a great point Mo was making. I, I can, you know, my my first two years in Milwaukee, we lost in the first round. Third year, we like we was the the year uh, we played Toronto in the conference finals, and like there was there, there there was a difference between kind of the institutional knowledge of them having been a progressing through the playoffs every year team and kind of our first time. There just was. Um, you know, it's it's something you you learn from, but there's no way to simulate that. Um, I don't think there was. That's the thing there, there that get, no it gets overlooked with the Warriors, right? Everybody just acts like the Warriors dropped out of the sky one day and, and were this awesome basketball team, but you know they they had their playoff battles before they won a championship. I beat them in seven games, Dave. You did. Mo that. did it by himself. So. All by myself. Yeah. That's I, right. All so by myself. So I think myself. conventional wisdom certainly does say, all right, you, you know, you can't necessarily buy Phoenix. But I think more than anything, it, it's it's more about my belief in, in Denver and Utah uh, than necessarily my disbelief in Phoenix. I still think Phoenix is a good team. I don't think that they're going to be a team that, you know, makes conference finals. I don't think that they're that good. Um but Denver and Utah, I mean, it, it basically, Utah is right in the conversation as of right now with the Clippers for the second best team in the West. And Denver has been, you know, since they're, they're a little bit of a scuffling start, has really turned it on. And, and I think that they're right there, right behind them. So, you know, I just think that they're better teams than Phoenix and they have the playoff experience. So, you know, I, I trust both of those teams – a lot more Utah, even more so. I mean, top five offense, top five defense. They're just rolling right now. Ask me again in a month. Let's you know. Let's I have see. one concern about Utah, and it's not so much an overall team issue with Utah. It's it's just a playoff specific matchup. Sure. Thing is, you look at the teams that are second round conference finalists, playoff type teams. Mm-hmm. They tend to have big ball handling, playmaking wings. And that's that's just a player type. Utah doesn't have anybody really to contend with, and it's like it's Royce O'Neal, yeah. who's fine, and then who's their who's their second Joe best Ingles. guy to put on a Kawhi or a Paul right. George or a LeBron? Oh, it's, Joe it's Joe Ingles, Ingles yeah, it, right, yeah. It's okay. And Ingles, Ingles guarded Luca <laughs> like, last night, and it was fine. But um, you know, well, we've seen that's it a, that's a good LeBron. matchup for Joe Ingles, right? Right. Like, yeah, but no, no, no. I, we're we're agreeing. Yeah. I'm agreeing yeah. with you. I'm saying it being yeah. Joe Ingles is right, a problem, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, and it's not a shot at Joe, who obviously I know from the Australia days. But I want to, I want to hijack this, yeah. this again. You guys really, I think Portland's going to finish higher than Phoenix in the standings. I, I just think the injuries have caught them. I mean, it's just going to be, you know, what is it, six weeks I, with I, no I, CJ? They do it. They do it. Every freaking year. Well, they wouldn't have done it last every year. year. And now Devin Booker's <laughs> and Devin Booker's out with Phoenix. I thought I had Portland making it last year, by the way, before the before the shutdown. I said Portland was still going to make that run because I didn't think I figured Memphis might fall off. But Phoenix again, Devin Booker's injured. They haven't played great. Chris Paul does look a lot older. Mind you, as, 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 as we all want to talk about it, but I'm just saying you can see it now. It's beginning to fall. His game's beginning to drop off. I'm just saying it's. I just think Portland will finish higher than uh, Phoenix in the uh, standings at the end mm-hmm. of the okay. season. You that's can, that's uh, Mo, hold me Doc to it. Keel, 
underscore NBA for anybody who uh, you know wants to defend Chris Paul's honor. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, moving on. Uh, Mark Schindler, another friend of the show. Um, what teams or players do you guys think are in line for significant regression in the coming weeks now that we're about a month in? Um, this is a good question because we're, we're at the point, and this year might be a little bit different, Seth. You know, let me know how you feel about this from a statistical standpoint. I've been saying I, I felt like I needed about 20 to 25 games before I had any idea of what was happening. Um, statistically, how, how does this work? Like, if, if you look at a guy like Kelly Oubre, who has started so poorly, uh, about how long before it goes from being, this is a this is a short blip, to this is a trend, to this is who Kelly Oubre is? So, Oubre is a great place to start. Because you say regression and we often use that to mean, well, Jalen Brown's not going to keep shooting 56% for mid-range or whatever. Right. And speaking of regression, like that's 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 one of the things you look at. A guy is like, he's okay. If you told me Jalen Brown was a high 40s mid-range shooter, now I'd buy that. I don't think he's, you know, the greatest mid-range shooter ever. So that's right. He's going to come back to earth a little bit. But it's not just guys who are performing sort of above their head who are going to come down. It's guys who are scuffling are going to go more in line with the kind of their – you know, however well we can determine their sort of true talent level. And I think Ubre is a perfect example this year. Uh, first 10 games, he shot something like 13.7% from three. Uh, the nine games since, he shot uh, 33% from three. Entering this season, his career average was 329 from three. So he's back up to his kind of normal level. Now, that doesn't mean that because he shot 13%, he's going to have 10 games where he shoots 48% or whatever. It means that going forward in the games that are left, he's going to shoot about 33%. And so just like adding more of that into his sample is going to, you know, pull his season average up. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see that with, you know, Bam Adebayo shot the hell out of the mid range shot. Uh, you know, I think Kevin Durant is not going to shoot high forties from three, given his, you know, the, the difficulty of some of the shots he takes. 
I don't think Nick's opponents are going to shoot 31% from three. Right. Um, so well, those are, I mean, you just, you look, just look at outliers. How dare you doubt the Knicks? How dare you doubt well, the you hit on you hit on a, a regression candidate a few weeks ago in Toronto. You know, you and I, we were having a conversation where we talked about, you know, how many toss-up games they had lost. And, and you know, they had guys in and out of the lineup. Well, and we've seen, they've, you know, they look better. They, they don't look great, but they look better and they're winning more of these games. And, and you know, the bigger picture trends just take a little while to, to shake themselves out, I, I think. But um, I've got some concerns about Miami uh, and some of the fundamentals of their offense, which, you know, we've talked about a little bit before. But, you know, one of the big things is that Duncan Robinson, what was he shooting, Seth, on on contested threes last year? I mean, it was it was nuts, right? Uh, like forty four five or something like that, and and this year he's not doing it's as well. Only thirty seven five. You know and, the league as a whole. The league as a whole shoots thirty one thirty two. So he's like, and and yeah. he takes a you know a pretty. He was already taking among the more difficult mix of threes in the league. About a, only about a quarter of his threes last year were uncontested. Mm-hmm. This year, that's down to about seventeen percent. And I think that that speaks a little bit to what you're saying about their kind of. Offensive, like like you know, hot take. They miss Jimmy Butler. Yeah, um, I think so there's more is, to it than that, though. Yeah, but that's. I think that's. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. I think that you know, I'm not sure. I no, I am sure that I don't think the Tyler Harrow at point guard experiment totally worked. Um, and and so they're they're just their their offense is is scuffling a little. Yeah, and some of it is listen. You, you said it, you know, Jimmy Butler being out for what feels like the, the entire season. He's only played five games. Tyler Hero been in and out of the lineup as well. And and even him at point guard has been iffy and shaky. I mean, they just had a bunch of injuries and, and COVID protocol has kept this team going together. One thing I think would be interesting to look at, Seth, and I don't – I wish I thought about it before the show so that you could actually have done it and you won't be able to do it now. I'd love to see how much of this was what Duncan Robinson's shooting percentage, you know, was before – you know, he became a name, you know, like in the beginning of the season, right? It was like, who's this kid? And then all of a sudden now it's like, okay, this season, everybody's locked in. He's on every scouting report. At a certain point, you make the scouting report and now we find out if you're really good or not. You know, if, if what you do is something that can carry over because teams are locked in at you. And that's a guy I would look at, watch Emmanuel quickly throughout the season for the Knicks. Because he's going to start making scouting reports for the uh, for on Nick's opponents, and they're going to be able to lock in a little better on him, whereas before they weren't sure about it. And I'd be interested to see what that looks like. That's a Robinson. great point. Love, um, love a down year for a guy shooting forty percent from three. It's so funny. It's yeah, so right. Funny. We're, we're such jerks. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, we, it, we should point out Tobias Harris likely not going to shoot forty six percent from three, um, but you never know. He actually has some space to operate now. So. Uh, I don't think 40. He's got, he's got, Tobias Harris has Doc with him. This is his best run in the NBA was with Doc Rivers with the Clippers. And it's not a surprise. People shouldn't be shocked that he's killing it now, now that Doc's the coach. By the way, I mean, he shot 40% playing for Doc from three. So maybe, maybe that, that, uh, there's something to the, uh, the Tobias whisperer there. Uh, okay. Um, last question, uh, from Tom Zayas. Another friend of the program. Uh, curious about which team y'all think could unlock Lonzo or at least bring him up to being a consistent 
positive offensive contributor. Uh, and, and Mo, I'm going to start with you here because Alonzo, I mean, safe to say that this guy like is kind of like controversial. I feel like a lot of basketball people really love Lonzo because he, and for lack of a better phrase, plays the right way. Like he's such an excellent ball mover and he's constantly looking up the court, you know, for hit ahead passes. And, and then there are the finer points where he starts to lose people, right? Like the jumper, the inconsistency there, the lack of finishing touch um, and, and things like that. It, he's kind of like a, a, a very unique talent. And I'm curious, Mo, uh, about you in particular, where you think Lonzo could be fully realized as this, you know, kind of uber utility player. Yeah, I want to just start with like when he first got drafted, I wasn't on the Lonzo mm-hmm. Ball trade, uh, train. I wasn't, you know, like I thought he was good. Everybody was talking about him being great and all that. I just thought he'd be a good NBA player. Never, never more than that. So like when we talk about unlocking his full potential, I think this is who Lonzo is, you know, and I think he can be better, but I don't think it's going to be that much better. I don't think he's going to be a guy that takes your team, you know, to a, a whole nother tier once you get Lonzo Ball. I actually think the Pelicans did him a disservice by playing him with Eric Bledsoe. I don't think that's a good backcourt. I think that pairing's really screwed up. The one place I kind of it just dawned on me this morning, so I haven't had a full way to to fully flesh out this idea, but I kind of like the idea of Lonzo on the Knicks. They need a point guard. They need a ball mover. I think they can get out in transition a little bit. I don't know long term what that looks like, what that relationship is with them. But if I'm the Knicks, you know, I don't I don't think he's going to really raise a high price. You know, I don't think he's going to be that expensive right. to get. And I think if there's a if it won't cost you much, I think he's a flyer. That they and and so him. his contract situation is part of this, right? Like if, if you trade for him or yeah. how much do you want to give up? Because he is going to be due for a new deal. Um, but I want to push back just a little bit because I, I just don't think and this is part of the problem with Lonzo. He's not like what we would really call a point guard. Because he's not much of a ball handler, an on-ball creator. And, and I think it, it's almost – he's similar to Ben Simmons. And, and Seth, you know – That's that's cr- funny because that's the team I was going to suggest. Yeah. But the, the, <laughs> the problem – like here, at least he will shoot. Um, but I just think that there – that the holes are such that he can't be more than like your third sort of playmaker. Yeah, like, I, would he work in Denver? Um, would second, he be Would he be super cool in Denver? Like, would he just slide right in there? It, I, I literally I mean, just came came to mind. I mean, I mean, it's sort of a, a question whether he or Gary Harris makes more jump shots. Um, it's, um, well, I think he. Um, right. So the th- here's some things about Lonzo: is he's you know. For a guy who isn't able to necessarily crack people off the dribble, he's a pretty genius passer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, his his feel for the game, his anticipation is phenomenal. He's a really good defensive player. Maybe not the like a little maybe in the Ricky Rubio mold of not being a lockdown on ball defender guy, mm-hmm. but in terms of reading the play and just, you know, being in good spots to muck an offense up. Um more physical than he gets credit for defensively, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I mean he's 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 big and 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 has has good length and and gets his hands on balls. Um so but because of his kind of lack of penetration ability, like you're right, he needs to be with 
someone who from another sort of spot on the floor is giving you some of that creation. And so that's what what why you think Philadelphia. Like, okay, they're getting their their primary playmaking from the four spot, basically. Um, now, if he can make just a few more open jump shots, he's also someone who, because of his passing ability and not necessarily his his creation ability, but he's someone who can get the ball to Joel Embiid in spots. Right. So I think that that's a I think that that Philly would be a really interesting team, but but a team where he can play alongside another kind of creative type and then his his sort of fill in the blanks um stuff can come to the fore. I mean he's like you say he's not a he's not a top line point guard. He's more of a of a Warriors Andre Iguodala or what Tyrese Halliburton is showing in in Sacramento kind of uh you know super glue guy. Right. That Absolutely. he is a, a frontline starter. You know, and now that you were saying all that oh. Brooklyn could be a spot for for oh, Alonzo, yeah. you know. Go ahead, Mo. That'd be that'd be actually a really good spot. That'd be a good spot. I'd push against Philly though, because you know what we're seeing with Philly is just Simmons attacking. You know, Embiid. They're running everything through Embiid in the post in the half court, and I think it becomes I'm leaving Lonzo to go double Embiid. Right. That that just makes it easier, and I get it too. Like there's there's going to be risks behind it, but I'm not. I'm fine with that. You know, and I'm fine with my team rotating to 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 Lonzo and 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 dealing with the consequence of it. I'm not a big for me for Philly. Don't do a damn thing. Build what you have right now. You what you have right now. Don't do anything. Just 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 let this grow right now. We're watching something where you know Embiid's improved as a passer against a double team. You're watching Simmons is slowly getting more and more aggressive as the season has come on. The last few games have been pretty. You can see it pretty starkly where he's going and trying to get into the paint more often than he was at the beginning of the year. We talked about Harris already rolling. They're getting good shooting. They just got Seth Curry back. I think just just don't do anything right now. If you're if you're Daryl Morey, just put the phone away, sit on your hands for a while, and just let this thing play out. Because I don't think there's anything they really need to do. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not saying you, you know you you dump a bunch of assets to go get Lonzo Ball. I'm just saying if you're, yeah, I, I, yeah. I know, I know, I wasn't. I, 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 yeah. We were both saying cool. that. Like I, I, we both think he's going to not be an expensive. Pre- I just don't think don't. You got a good thing well, going. Lonzo don't could be good in a lot of places. Right I mean, are you telling me that Lonzo wouldn't work in Golden State pretty well? Um, again, you know, I think should have drafted his brother. The Spurs. Could use Lonzo Ball, you know, like uh, I, there are a lot of teams that Lonzo can work. I just think that, you know, where he is, is uniquely a, a poor fit for him, plain and simple, just because they don't have the people yeah. around that that he can amplify their game because he's a luxury. Like Lonzo Ball is, is a guy that I think could be, you know, the fifth starter, uh, first guy off the bench on a championship level team. Like he's that kind of player. Like he's just a he's not a. a, a one of your top three guys. And so, you know, if he can get into a situation where he's able to work with people who are stars again, like Brooklyn or, or like Denver, he really can turn them into better players. It's funny that the one player on New Orleans, he really does fit with, I think is Zion. Oh yeah. (laughs) But just in terms of getting out on the break and, and, you know, throwing lobs and stuff like that. But they're, you know, I mean, I think we've talked before about this. They're, they're kind of starting lineup is five guys who want to play four different ways. And so there's a lot of just kind of clunkiness there. And, and he's almost the, the odd man out there. So it's, it's not an awesome fit. I I like Dave, the Nets. Mm -hmm. 
I just don't know if they have a way to get him. I just, Probably I mean, not. even even him coming cheap, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they do. But that's a great. That's the kind of def- they need a guy who can defend mm-hmm. a little bit at the point of the attack, and then it, it alleviates pressure for him. Hey, Lonzo, just go out there and defend. Make a few shots if you can. Find yeah. the right pass, and that's it. And that's all you got to do. And you can play it. him and Joe Harris and Kyrie and KD and and Harden all at the same time. Like uh, you don't have to worry about size against a whole lot of teams in the NBA for real. You know, not not on the wing. Um, I, I think it would give him a lot of options. So that's now my new favorite place for Lonzo. It's there or Denver, uh, just for the for the cool factor. Um, that's going to do it for this week. Again, thank you guys for the questions. Uh, they really were very thoughtful and and fantastic so um great questions great questions and a lot we didn't get to thank you for showing out folks that was that was pretty awesome so uh you know we always appreciate that uh when when you guys uh give us your questions and you know feel free to give us topic ideas at any point doesn't doesn't have to wait for a mailbag we we always like to you know dig into the stuff that you guys are paying attention to uh so we'll be back next week with another episode of nerd she wrote